Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to Series 3, Episode 6 of From Page to Practice. Today's episode is on the Metacognition Handbook by Jennifer Webb. Today we'll start with an introduction from Jenny followed by eight reader contributions, so we're in for a treat. Worth waiting the extra week for, I hope. Before we get going with this episode, I'll make a quick appeal for the next one, which is on Teach to the Top by Megan Mansworth. If you've read this book, please do contribute your thoughts by the 12th of December. So now, let's hear from Jenny about her book, The Metacognition Handbook. Hi, this is Jenny Webb. I'm really flattered that you're using the Metacognition Handbook as part of the series for this podcast. Um, Thanks for tuning in. I wrote this book because I've been fascinated by metacognition for a really long time. I think the thing that draws me to metacognition the most is that it feels so instinctive. So much of metacognition and metacognitive practice feels like the natural next right thing to do when we're teaching really, really well, when we're being really reflective, when we're thinking about feedback and really, really powerful improvement. Metacognition just feels like the natural thing to do in the classroom to me. Um, So I've been using metacognitive practice and honing them and kind of trialling things for a really, really long time, probably a decade. Um, But what struck me is that looking at all of the educational material and research out there around metacognition, it feels very inaccessible. And apart from the EEF report, which came out um, in recent years, there's not a lot else out there that feels like it's been written for practitioners in the classroom in a way that's really succinct and really clear and really practice-focused, rather than um, being all about the kind of high-end abstract theory. Um, The other real challenge with metacognition for me is that there have been huge amounts of misinformation about metacognition, and it's very much been lumped in with lots of other quote-unquote theories of education which have been debunked. So lots of people kind of we all understand that learning styles isn't a thing. We understand that multiple intelligences isn't a thing. Um, We've been kind of misled as a profession on lots and lots of these kind of, these theories about how children learn. And in a weird kind of way, metacognition, even though it's deeply rooted in lots of very, very robust research evidence, has been kind of lumped in with a lot of those. And a lot of people don't really understand it and how it's distinct from lots of those kind of quack, crackpot theories. Um, One of the other problems is that most people who really write about metacognition and really interested in it can't really agree on a clear definition for it. So there are lots and lots of ideas about what metacognition is and what metacognition isn't and what all the other terms like self-regulation and self-efficacy and... um, All of this terminology just feels a little bit complicated and there's no real clarity about what really um what each of those terms means how it's applied and what's actually useful for teachers on the ground so the whole point of this book is to try and cut through all of those challenges give a really really clear simple definition of what metacognition is for classroom teachers and be able to provide 
um, a be able to provide a real, really, really clear set of references, essentially. Um, the other thing that the book hopefully does, as a um, as well as giving really um, useful resources that have been used in my classroom for a really long time, um, is think about metacognition as a whole school um, project, thinking about the challenges that come when you try to train a huge number of staff at the same time, thinking about how schools can embed metacognition not just at a classroom level, but also as a way of supporting pastoral work, as a way of supporting transition work, as a way of training non-teaching staff. Um, so metacognition I believe if it's something which is done really really well and really thoroughly across a school can have massive benefits which go beyond just the academic progress acceleration which we see from all the studies that we've looked at so um yeah fingers crossed um you read the book and enjoy it I think that I honestly think that teachers who are really metacognitive are kind of investing in their students in a way that um we don't often get the opportunity to. This isn't just about being a really good teacher. It's about supporting them to be really good learners. Um, and that's a, a kind of the ultimate act of optimism is when you train young people to go off and essentially have the skills they need to do this stuff independently, to learn beyond our school walls, to go out into unknown environments and be able to apply the things that they know, apply their own strengths, self-regulate, um, reflect and kind of continue that metacognitive work into their future so by doing that in our secondary schools by doing that in our primary schools we're able to kind of set up these highly um, effective learners who can go off and be successful independently and I suppose that in a nutshell is the ultimate goal of teaching um, so yeah thank you very much I hope you uh, enjoy the podcast thank you you're listening to from page to practice Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Jenny. I really appreciate you giving up your time to record, and I hope you enjoy hearing what readers have to say about your book. The first reader that we're going to hear from today is Donal. Hello, my name is Donal Heal. I am Head of English at Huntington School in York, and I tweet at HealDonal. I'm speaking to you today about the absolutely brilliant book the Metacognition Handbook by Jennifer Webb as really a prime example of how a book that really delves into complex abstract ideas often of educational research with metacognition and self-regulation but really allows the way it's written by Jennifer to engage with those ideas and apply them to a classroom context. I think it's wonderfully written in that sense that it's a book that we can pick up and dip in and out of and really use it to inform our practice. And it's certainly informed my practice, which is why I'm speaking to you today. And whilst I really encourage you to read all of the book in full because it's a goldmine of great ideas in terms of classroom practice, chapter two of the book in particular really struck a chord with me in terms of Jennifer's aims to really try to show the theory in practice. And there's two areas from chapter two that I want to look at. The first is this idea of modeling the work review. And the second is talking about the zones of difficulties that students face in learning. She talks about the three zones of comfort, challenge and panic. So the first area of modeling the work review 
please don't mistake me, this is not synonymous with a quality assurance system of schools of a work review or a work scrutiny of students' work. It's actually about how the students reviewed their own work prior to submission to a teacher. I think it's really interesting that Jennifer talks about this idea that so often students see their learning as the completion of a task and almost a race to the end where a 10-minute task ends because the 10 minutes are up and not because the work is completed. And I think all students can be a little bit guilty of that sometimes and leaving out a really crucial metacognitive step whereby they actually reflect and review what they've done in that task prior to submission. And she offers within chapter two a series of prompt questions that are thinking questions that we can give to students to help model this idea of how they can review their work. And there's two in particular within that bullet point list that I think are really quite interesting. The first is the idea that we pose the question to students, does the work I've completed match the success criteria I, as teacher in this context, have set? I think that's a really interesting idea to kind of ask students to independently reflect upon that idea before they submit their work. As I say, so often students see the completion of work as some race to the end and once you get to that final full stop or you know, to what x equals in a mathematical equation, that that's the end of the learning journey. But as we know, as kind of expert learners ourselves as teachers, that review process is so important. So modeling the students that that's part of the work completed, that review step and using a question like that is really quite useful. I think the second question is also quite interesting this time, not in terms of kind of matching to success criteria, but more engaging with students' own sense of motivation. The second question is about, does the work that I've submitted match the best of my ability? I think it's really important for students as self-regulated learners to reflect upon this idea that what they are capable of and whether the work they submit does reflect that. But if I think about how often in the past where I get to the end of a task, and even if I do feedback, whether that's kind of cold calling or kind of whole class discussion, I don't really, or I haven't in the past at least, got the students to kind of really reflect on, was that the full effort that I could have given to that task? Because if students aren't aware of their effort levels and how that equates to success in their work, then this can lead to demotivation in terms of learning. And it doesn't push the students to kind of really challenge themselves. And Jennifer talks about that a lot in the book, this idea that students need to be aware of the effort they put in that breeds success to students' work. Which ties into the second part of chapter two that I think was particularly interesting, this idea of the three zones. So we've got a comfort zone. And the comfort zone is very much kind of when work is set that is too easy from a classroom teacher that often kind of evokes boredom within students that therefore does not produce the best work that they are capable of. It's the idea that something being too easy can be disengaging. At the other end of that scale, there's the panic zone. And this is where, according to Jennifer, work is pitched so high that it kind of breeds anxiety within students and therefore they disengage and put up the barriers to learning that ultimately affects their success in that lesson. Which brings us to the challenge zone, or as Jennifer talks about, the Goldilocks zone. 
And the Goldilocks zone, this challenge zone, is very much about making sure that students recognize that work is set at a challenging level, yes, but instilling in them the sense that with effort, they can be successful in that challenge-based learning. So it's not about setting work too easy or too difficult, it's getting it just right. So students make that connection again in terms of motivation, which is just such an important part of metacognition and self-regulation, that the effort they put in directly affects the results of the work produced and makes them, in terms of their habits of learning, much stronger learners, where they have that metacognition reflection and they can ultimately self-regulate. So I hope that's a useful kind of snapshot insights into the Metacognition Handbook by Jennifer Webb. I do highly recommend this for all educators of all phases and all subjects. I think it has the power to really shape your practice from one reading, but I do think what you'll find is you'll keep deep dipping in and out and continue to read this long after you've read that the first time. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Next up is today's long-distance contributor, Dwayne. My name is Dwayne Dunstan, and I'm an associate professor of cybersecurity at Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont. I first learned about metacognition a few years ago when I was taking a summer teaching class at the University of New Hampshire. And right away, I understood its benefits, but not how to approach teaching it or instructing students on how to utilize it. I did some experiment on my own and came up with a strategy to use it. Then this year, I read the Metacognition Handbook by Jennifer Webb and realized there was one strategy that I was missing and probably the most important one, which is modeling. I wasn't demonstrating to students how to perform metacognitive thinking. I would give them a short survey and they would complete it and we worked through it together, but I wasn't explaining to them how to use it. I also probably didn't explain it to them in depth as I should have, which which is really, really needed. And those are really two key takeaways that I discovered while reading the Metacognition Handbook. More than that is I really like how Jennifer Webb, the author, extended that metacognition is not important just for their studies and for the academic career, but also for the everyday life and thinking about what's going on. Here's a task. Okay, what do I do now to complete the task? What do I, what, what resources do I need? What don't I know? How do I go about finding the information of those things that I don't know how to complete? And the strategies that she outlined are fantastic. Probably the most important aspect of this book is that there's not a lot of academic literature terms being used. Now, there are references so people can go and read the literature, but it focuses on very easy to understand and very easy to follow instructions that includes templates and also interviews with educators from different fields. And that, that way people and educators from other other um, industries can think about how they can apply it to their, their own um, discipline. And I find metacognition beneficial from an educator standpoint because when I would give an assignment, I would have three questions in a survey. Explain what you're supposed to do in your own words, what do you know how to do to complete the assignment? And what don't you know? And that allowed me to review it with them in class before they started the assignment. That way I can be sure that everyone was on the same page as far as what the expectations were on the assignment. And if not, then I could make changes right away to the assignment 
or any verbiage or explain things right there with them. With what they don't know, I can help remind them if they forgot about assignments that we've done. And that can help them with the assignment and offer some hints and, and I can offer some hints and tips on how to move forward with it. It got to a point where, you know, I didn't have to go through that process over and over again with them. But that's what I found most beneficial is that the discussions on modeling and also providing feedback, which is absolutely essential with student learning. And the Metacognition Handbook covered this in, 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 in great detail. And that is, you know, with feedback, students need to know not just what they need to improve on, but also what they're doing well. And when they are improving, then they need to be told and, and, and show in the assignment how they're improving. So the Metacognition Handbook really is a practical guide in a literal sense. And there are not a lot of pages in it, but it's packed with examples, use cases from educators. It has templates that you can basically use right away. You can just copy it over into your, your, current, your current assignments. And it's also presented in a very easy to read and easy to understand format, which is absolutely essential to take the academic literature and apply it to something that's practical. And Jennifer Webb did a stellar job of that in the Metacognition Handbook. So I would highly recommend the Metacognition Handbook to be read and used by anybody. And it's not just a book that you want to read. It's practical. It's a practical resource that you can use in any class that you're teaching. And the strategies and outline of it is absolutely fantastic. And I highly recommend it for anyone. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. And now we're hearing from Elaine. Hello, my name is Elaine McNally. I'm a head of English. I've been teaching for 30 years and you can find me on Twitter at MrsMacTeach33. Thank you to Page to Practice for inviting me to share my views on the Metacognition Handbook by Jennifer Webb. So I'm here to share my experience of reading the book and to explain how I put some of the ideas into practice in my English teaching. Um, In chapter one, Jennifer Webb Webb describes metacognitive frameworks as a guard against passivity. And this really chimed with uh, something I had recognised and wanted to do something about. So I tell students that they should be conscious writers, not unconscious. By this, I mean that in their writing, they should be actively engaged in thinking about their choice of words, uh, the meaning they communicate and the structure of what they write. I want students to be aware of themselves as learners. Uh, Jennifer describes um, a metacognitive learner as one who is going through a series of internalised questions. And what I took from that was that uh, the questioning process should reveal to them how they know that what they are doing is correct. Um, I could see that thinking metacognitively can give students agency because they can move to a position where they know how to improve their responses and consequently control outcomes. The metacognitive approaches outlined in the book can definitely help achieve this. I particularly like the focus in chapter two on the fact that we don't show students how to quality assure their own work. Despite spending ages on teaching them how to create it, they don't really have ownership over how to improve it. So I started to think about how I could create a process of quality assurance. Now, the key to this is, I think, getting them to use highlighters. 
so now, before I mark anything, I ask students to highlight the things I want to see and mark. And that would be based around uh, the particular success criteria for any given piece of work. But it could include the control words, quotation, terminology, active verbs for analysis, context, the author's name, maybe comparison phrases, maybe examples of tentative language. It would all depend on the task. Now, I was already doing this, but since reading the book, my approach here has become much more consistent and rigorous. The sole aim of this highlighting is to allow students to see what I see when I read and mark their work. Instead of being alienated from their own work by the marking process, they can see instantly where they could improve because of the pattern of colours that emerges. And it is interesting to see patterns of colours appearing. A nice mix of colours, then it's clear that the student is juggling all the criteria well. But gaps and blocks are also revealing. Um, for example, a big block of colour might indicate dumped context. A paragraph with a gap for a particular colour means that the student might have drifted from the task. No quotations highlighted, well then there's no explicit evidence. No colours for active verbs, then it's immediately clear that that analysis is not explicit. This process means students can instantly see where the problems are and they are empowered to do something about it. So this quality assurance process should generate change. I've really started to think that uh, dirt tasks after the event are absolutely pointless and just create more marking. If they've seen areas to improve because they have quality assured their work, then they provided their own feedback so they should act on that, then hand it in. There's no point marking work that isn't the best they can do, which doesn't mean perfect. The highlighting strategy forces them to look for what I want to mark. So getting students to think metacognit metacognitively about their work has had a big impact on quality. The highlighting process means they have made the best effort to meet the success criteria. And then my feedback is much more meaningful because it's absolutely centred on areas of uncertainty. Uh, another chapter that I really enjoyed was chapter two. Um, and in that, Jennifer Webb talks about how she trains students to be metacognitive. And she writes about four areas, uh, comprehension, connection, strategy and reflection. And again, I think I was doing some of those things, but absolutely not doing them together as a cycle, as she recommends, and definitely not foregrounding with the students the process that we, we are going through. So I explicitly tried, um, tried this with a language paper two task that students were completing to time. And we went through each of the four um, uh, categories. So the first one is comprehension, where they just identified what it was they understood about the task and just sort of bullet pointed what they had to do. Um, the second one was connection. And then we thought about um, previous attempts. We thought about the feedback from those previous attempts and the strengths and weaknesses and, and uh, what they had learned. Um, and so how they could um, apply this, uh, what went well to this piece of writing. Um, then we did strategy, and that's like the best approach um, in order to achieve success. And in this case, it was to make sure that a good strategy would be to highlight pairs of quotations. 
And then they wrote the, the response to time. And then we did the reflection activity. Now, this I have never done, and it was a revelation. Um, what I asked them to do was to evaluate their response, uh, their approach. I asked them to just identify what difficulties they encountered. And I asked them what, what they felt prevented them from performing well. And then just asked them to write that uh, briefly at the end of their response. And for me, it was um, extraordinary because instead of guessing the problems they're facing from their answers... What I had um, was open, honest and reflective comments that simply told me and that really made a massive difference to my planning. Um, finally, I liked the case studies um, and in Isaac's case study, he concludes that students require the knowledge of how we learn. And to me, this is really important, particularly the focus on how. Mostly students want the what as in what to write. Understanding the how, as in how do I do this, and, and really importantly, how do I know I'm doing this? This is empowering. This gives students agency, and instead of being passive recipients of learning, they are actively engaged collaborators in the process with control over their own learning trajectory. That's powerful. There is so much in this book for teachers at every stage, both new and experienced ones. And the ideas explored in relation to metacognition by Jennifer Webb have really helped refine my teaching and helped improve student engagement in the classroom. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. So many reader contributions today, we'll just keep it moving and next we're going to hear from Emma. Hello, my name is Emma Cave and I am Assistant Principal for Teaching and Learning at Melkshamote Community School in Wiltshire and part of the Secondary School Improvement Team for the Whitehorse Federation. You can find me on Twitter at Mrs C Geography. When I first read this book back in August, I had a real light bulb moment. Metacognition is an area of teaching and learning that I have found really difficult to understand in the past and have had some failed attempts at implementing in my own teaching practice over the years. When I was first introduced to metacognition, it was through the channel of thinking about thinking and we did some work on this as a school, but it was very much in terms of activities that we were expected to put into our lessons and into our planning. And I never really developed the understanding of why or what the purpose of these things were, and therefore they never became part of habits in my teaching practice. As Webb writes in the book, metacognition is not achieved by doing metacognitive activities. Instead, we need to see this as a framework around everything we do. The parts of the book I found most useful are those that apply this framework to teaching and learning structures that are similar to those that I work with at Melkshamoke School. In particular, in chapter three, there are a number of classroom case studies and one by Isaac Alabi, who's a physics teacher and deputy head, particularly resonated with me. 
I think mainly because his starting point had been similar to mine, where he describes his former experience of thinking about thinking and learning to learn and students being given badges for showing certain types of activities in the lesson without this really having an impact on students' learning. In his case study, he goes on to explain that what he's found most useful is to structure his teaching and learning focusing on cognition and direct instruction first, including modelling and metacognitive talk. He then goes on to explain how this might look during the do now activity, activating prior knowledge before the new knowledge is introduced. And then how when presenting new knowledge in small chunks, he explicitly teaches vocabulary, explicitly instructs the task and the strategy for the new knowledge, models the use of strategies and metacognitive talk, guides practice, and then there's metacognitive regulation during the independent practice. I found this really useful because this marries up very well with the teaching and learning framework that we use at Melkshire Moke and I could see how this could therefore be a framework around what we currently do that helps to promote metacognitive explanation and talk by teachers and therefore over time the understanding of that by students. Coupled with that, in chapter two, there is a section on top tips for metacognitive modelling, which I also found particularly useful. There are a number of sentence starters and questions that can be used for explicitly modelling in the I, we and you phases of the lesson. So, for example, there are phrases such as, I am doing this because, I am looking for these elements because, I feel anxious about, I've noticed that I'm missing and so I need to to enable teachers to model their metacognitive processes as the expert to the students. In the we do phase of the lesson, the co-creation of work with students, there are a series of questions that could be used with students to help their metacognitive understanding and regulation. Things like, can anyone give us an opening phrase? How exactly should I phrase that? Why did you choose X word instead of X word? what could we do while we write to avoid those mistakes? And these are very practical strategies that I've been able to use in my own classroom practice, but can also think about incorporating into our teaching and learning across the school. At Melkshmoke, we have recently introduced a new shared language and structure for lessons, focusing on that understanding of cognition and good teaching and learning, but this has allowed us to have a framework through which we can begin to also discuss and incorporate more metacognitive thinking into our lessons. So these ideas from the book have been fantastic because I am able to use these ideas to begin to develop more metacognitive talk amongst staff and therefore in their classrooms around our lesson structure. For example, we are currently working on as a school our do now phase of our lesson and our review points and final review in the lesson. For the do now activity, we have been able to be explicit with our students about the reasons for retrieval practice. We've talked to them about how the forgetting curve works and about how retrieval can help to strengthen their understanding and their long-term memory. This is something that individual teachers have done in classrooms, but it's also something that we've done with students through assembly and tutorial time across the school. During the review points of the lesson, 
this has been a real focus on developing that metacognitive questioning amongst our teachers, focusing on the what have we been learning and how have we been learning this? What are our next steps? What's gone well? Why did those things go well? Rather than on a plenary task, which is perhaps what we used to have. We've really been working on our learning journey through the lesson and on referring back to our big question at key pause points in the lesson to help students to reflect upon their learning and to think about how and why they're being successful and what their next steps might be. In the new year, we are going to be moving on as a school to focus on the I do, we do and you do phases of our new lesson structure in particular. And the book has on page 38 and 39 some really, really useful things for that in terms of those questions that I've referred to for the we do and I do phase of the lesson. Personally, this is something that I've been working on in my own teaching with my nurture group, Science, looking at how I model the metacognitive process and how we go through this nice and slowly with lots and lots of examples so that when they come to their independent practice, they know how to create an example, an excellent answer, rather than having just been shown something and me expecting them to know how to create that. This is obviously a longer term thing for my school. Um, as it says in the book, it's a long term focus, not a short term fix. Metacognition is not about bunging activities into lessons, but it's about developing, first of all, my understanding and then the understanding of the staff widely across my school so that we are able to, over time, become more metacognitive in our teaching and help our students to become more metacognitive themselves. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. And next up, we're hearing from Judith. Hello, I'm Judith. I'm a faculty leader for languages in a secondary school in Worcestershire. And I've recently finished reading the Metacognition Handbook. And I have to say, I was really pleasantly surprised. I bought the book because I was genuinely really interested in metacognition. But in between buying the book and actually starting reading the book, I went to some training on metacognition at school, which was one of those training sessions that managed to sort of confuse everything I thought I already knew, so made me approach the bit with trepidation. However, it reaffirmed my faith that actually metacognition is something that is really useful, really valuable, and is actually achievable. I came away loving the fact that Jennifer Webber acknowledged the fact that it was a lot of work and it would take a lot of time to embed metacognition rather than it being a quick fix, which I think so often happens in schools where we're like, we need to change something immediately to have the desired effect. So it's totally re restored my faith in the process and the fact that we can do this. I've already tried a couple of ideas from the book, just as class activities, just to sort of tentatively dip my toe in the water and see what might work and what might not work. So I can sort of embed that with my team and start to look at how we can tie that in with other things we're focusing on. And I'm confident that with some planning and some thought I can actually start to take really meaningful steps towards developing metacognitive learners in my subject and in my school so I'm very very grateful I definitely recommend reading it for anybody who wants a clear accessible doable guide to metacognition that cuts out all of the extra details that might confuse us all and just gives us somewhere to start so very grateful so hope everyone else really enjoys it because there's a lot of really good nuggets of wisdom in there you're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast.
Just three more reader contributions to go now, and the next is from Khadija. Hi, I'm Khadija Dukani, the Head of Science at a community school in East London. During the 2021 summer break, I was looking for research-informed strategies to help our students become more reflective and independent learners. I was absolutely delighted to come across Jennifer Webb's book, The Metacognition Handbook, because it was exactly what I was looking for and what I needed. In this brief review, I'll talk about the summary of the book or the key messages that I took, the clarity and applicability of the book, and how I will be using some of what I've learnt. Metacognition can be defined and has been defined in different ways. Jennifer's definition is one that resonates with me. Her approach to metacognition was absolutely what I I was looking for. She defines metacognition as a set of behaviours which maximise the potential of efficacy of learning. The advantage of defining metacognition in this way is that you can easily describe what these behaviours look like. So what can I do to become a metacognitive learner? It feels like a more active process rather than a passive one. So the book is an essential guide to how we can change the behaviours of our students to become metacognitive learners who reflect and show a high degree of independence. In, in a school setting, um, so Jennifer identifies the main areas of challenge that students may face on a daily basis. So including acquisition or retention of knowledge, regulation and motivation. She then devises a set of questions to help students approach each area and resolve it. I guess the idea is that students use these techniques as a standard or standard behaviours that prevent them from getting stuck in the first place. But if they do, it generally it will generally be easier for them to resolve uh, these issues. I love the way that Jennifer guides teachers through changing the behaviours of their students. She addresses a number of important factors that can help teachers to make the journey of, of change a little bit smoother. Some of the key features that she uh, addresses include modelling. Now, it's really important to model uh, metacognitive thinking, uh, to also model behaviours and reflective processes. Metacognitive talk is another very important factor where there is a focus on the idea of internal dialogue to help students problem solve. She offers a staggered approach to take students from external dialogue, uh, something that they're perhaps more familiar with, to internal independent dialogue. Challenge is another factor that she talks about, whereby she encourages teachers to help their students identify the different challenge zones. She uses a template of concentric circles Uh, which aids students to categorise tasks, skills or sets of knowledge into kind of comfort, challenge or uh, panic zones. Now this is useful for teachers um, because the teacher is then able to better gauge the right level of challenge for their students. It's also beneficial for the student because Jennifer lays out a set of questions that can help them to reflect and resolve the uh, kind of issues around the panic zone tasks. She also mentions the use of feedback, vocabulary and teaching students uh, about schemas. I'll now move on to talk about the clarity and applicability of the book. The book is super clear, with enough information for teachers to use effectively, but not too much. It's reinforced and informed by academic research and offers many classroom examples for teachers to use. In fact, there is an excellent section which showcases different examples of how it has been successfully used by other teachers in their different subject areas, which I find essential. The book strikes a very good balance between information and application, which is important for busy teachers um, and middle leaders. Finally, 
How will I use this book moving forward? The book has a plethora of examples and templates. It makes it very easy for teachers to apply different elements. I've already introduced our students to the three areas, so knowledge, regulation and motivation, to help them categorise their daily classroom or school experiences into those uh, categories. I'd like to reinforce this better and then model how to use the guided questions for each section, whereby students should be able to ask themselves these questions when approaching each of the three areas. I would like us all in the science team to model and be more consistent with this. In summary, the handbook is a must-read. I highly recommend it for teachers looking to increase reflective practice and independence in their students. Now, which teacher would say no to that? You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Next up is today's only returning contributor, and that is Deepika. Hello, everyone. This is Deepika Narula. I am a chemistry teacher in a school based in Hertfordshire. I have been teaching just under 10 years. And uh, today I'm going to talk about uh, the book that I have recently read, The Metacognition Handbook by Jennifer Webb, and share my reflections and um some of the strategies that I have been using in my practice with you guys. Uh, You can connect with me on Twitter at Mrs. Dinarula and uh, thank you in advance for listening to me. Now, my understanding of metacognition before reading this book was mainly linked with what I understood was when a student comes to do an exam style question or they are doing a test then they will use um, the they will plan how their answer should look like and then they will pick up the strategy which is kind of monitoring and then they reflect after the test after reading this book I was really um, I think I found this idea really interesting that actually metacognition uh, can be applied to any task and I think uh if this is what Jennifer says, if we train our students to think metacognitively, we can turn them into unicorns. And uh, I think um, she explains in introduction where after giving a task, like when the teacher has modeled the task, they have gone through step by step through the task, uh, what to do, and students are generally ask these type of questions uh, like oh miss do I write in full sentences do I need to write a paragraph do I write at the top of the page so I think I experienced this as well and I am sure if you're a classroom teacher you would have experienced this in your uh, day-to-day teaching practice as well Uh, now I think um, what this book talks about is how if we train our students to be metacognitive they can regulate and control their learning and be reflective learners as well. Jennifer also discusses uh, an example of a student who is independent and who is self-motivated and how they do a task and how they control their learning or monitor their learning and how they look at their prior learning, prior mistakes and put them all together when they are doing a new task. And often these type of students, they will become successful learners and they will um, come to experience success uh, more often. 
There is also a very important graph, which I think is very, um, again, empowering to look at that impact versus cost. The effect size of metacognition is a lot more than any other strategies. It just comes under the feedback. And even the EEF uh, guidelines say that, uh, recommend that it is a high impact for a very low cost. Uh, now, what I am going to do is I am going to talk about uh, a bit about chapter one, where uh, Jennifer has described what is metacognition. And there are three strands of metacognition, metacognitive knowledge, which is knowledge of that a learner has about the task, metacognitive regulation, where the learner is planning, monitoring and evaluating their own learning while they are completing the task. So this could be any uh, task in the class. And metacognitive motivation is where after the like where the learner uh, is reflecting on um, the extent to which they want to perform the task, which means that how they will look at how they have felt during the task and what is motivating them to complete that task. Uh, now, I am going to talk about chapter two, which is where uh, I think because I am a classroom teacher, so I really connected with this chapter. So um, in this chapter, there are various strategies that uh, Jennifer discusses in which we can make our students metacognitive learners there is one which she goes into a lot of detail and I think she recommends she herself uses that in her classes as well and which is based on uh, the work of Tova Michalski uh, and where the students are doing a comp like they are using this approach which has like four steps comprehension in which they are identifying and understanding what the task is about then connection where they are looking at uh, this task and thinking about if they have done any task similar to this then the third one is strategy where they are identifying which approach they can use to complete this task and the last one is reflection, where they are evaluating how successful their approach is. There are also uh, like some sentence starters uh, given, which you will experience in this book. And they you can use those uh, sentence starter, for example, to uh, reflect before, after a task and if there is an upcoming assessment, students can think about what type of, like, they can predict how might they perform or what the assessment would look like. There are some uh, guidelines around focused reflection on exam skills and then general about reflection on knowledge. The other thing that I really liked about uh, this chapter is the exam wrappers. Now, often after assessment, what I would have done in the past is given students um, the test back and gone through the questions and given general feedback about uh, where their gaps are. Now, I changed this approach by 
to modifying into whole class feedback. And I think after reading this book and coming across the exam wrappers, I am using exam wrappers as well this year. So uh, these are on page 56 and 57. This is before the assessment. Um, you can ask students, when did you start preparing? How did you prepare? Did you self-quiz, created notes, created online quizzes, memorized key content, studied with a friend or a family member, created flashcards? Do you think it is helpful? How confident do you feel about this assessment and how motivated do you feel? And then there are after the assessment, what type of questions were the most challenging? And then once they got the assessment back, they can reflect on that how they did in this assessment. Next time what they are going to do, which comes becomes a part of regulation. Motivation is next time I'm going to motivate myself better by how. And all, also there is a part about my teacher can help me in future by doing what? Now I gave this to my year 8s and year 12s recently in a test. And students have actually told me how the teacher can help. And I think it is a very useful task uh, this task was done as a part of home learning. Uh, my year 8s did it in the class and uh, uh, year 12s did it as a homework. And I think for year 12s, it was important to go and sit and reflect because it was a longer task, longer test, longer topic as well. So I think um, you can decide when, whether you want to do it in the class. But again, students gave me suggestions like, uh, they want more exam style questions, they want more practice or uh, which type of uh, questions will help them learn more. So based on those uh, like feedback, I it gives me ideas to uh, train my students better for my subject. Now, there is also a kind of a um, end of unit reflection. I have not used that as such, but I have shared exam wrappers with my uh, colleagues as well who really like the idea and they, they were feeling the same uh, way I was feeling in my teaching that after an assessment they are stuck like how to guide students to reflect and evaluate uh, their learning and if you are a middle school leader or somebody who is leading teaching and study there are some case studies as well uh, and there is a very good case study where a whole school implementation of metacognition was uh, done by Isaac Alibi. So uh, again, if you are a middle school leader, you might find that really, really interesting. Now, I really enjoyed uh, reading this book and learning a little bit more about metacognition and how I can apply and make my students think metacognitively not only in end of assessments, uh, like end of topic assessments, but in general class, uh, like any day-to-day -day activities. What I am planning to do now is, as I am a science teacher, I often find that if I give students a practical, they are lost. So I am going to take some ideas from this book and apply those ideas into my practical lessons. Now, I have been doing slow practicals where I am teaching students step by step, but moving forward, I want my students to be able to 
look at a worksheet and do the practical themselves, thinking about each step, what they are doing, why they are doing and how they are feeling as well and how they can do better every single time they are doing the practical. So usually I often find that students will either they are not able to follow the method or they are not thinking about the knowledge that they can use or why a particular step is being done in a practical. So this is where I am going to use this book uh, in my practice and develop my students to develop practical skills and think met metacognitively from a practical perspective. Thank you for listening to me. Thanks a lot. Hope you enjoyed listening to me as thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. And our final reader for today is Imogen. Hello everyone, my name is Imogen Staley and my Twitter name is Kiringen with a K. I've been a science teacher for about 18 years in a range of roles including the head of department but have recently been appointed as research lead at Allerton Grange School in Leeds. So I get to read quite a lot of research books and articles, etc. Um, I came across the Metacognition Handbook by Jennifer Webb because uh, we are asked to do a, an inquiry question each year. And my area of interest is metacognition. Um, so I began by having a look at this. It came out at the perfect time. I really like this book because it's really short and snappy. So you can read the whole book from front cover to back cover in a day if you really want to. Um, but it's also really good for dipping in and out of as and when you need to. Um, it starts off by explaining what metacognition is and I think that's really good because I think um, it really helped me to really understand what it was about and how it applied to me let alone how it applied to my students um, but my favourite chapters are chapters two and three chapter two because there's so many um, really good practical um, things that you can apply into your lesson um, some of which uh, we probably do already, like uh, modelling, but it really got me to think about how I um, approach teaching that to the students. Um, so metacognitive talk for me was really uh, a bit of an eye-opener and actually made me really consider how I approach questions so that I can I can actually teach that explicitly to my students um but there are lots and lots of other little practical um things that you can do within the lesson some of which I haven't done yet but I plan to um but the the big one that I really could do straight away was the metacognitive talk um Chapter three, I really liked because it had those case studies. And I think with the case studies, you can see how you can apply it to your school. So as research lead, um, for me, it's important to know how I can approach this on a whole school level, how I could approach this on a department level. 
Um, so actually being able to see how it's been applied in other schools and other subjects um, was really valuable um, because you could see that it really happens. It's it's not just something people are talking about and not actually really taken seriously, if you like. So it really helps me to see how I could apply it within my own school It could um, and how teachers can apply it within their classrooms, how you can do it on a, a small level, with, as in just in the classroom, or on a much larger scale um, as whole school. So I think it was really useful um, all rounds. I would really recommend it to everyone. There's lots of research in there as well. So if you wanted to look into it more deeply, um, at the end of each chapter, you've got the references there so you can have a look at it even more. Um, on the whole, great read um, and thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. So that's it for today. Plenty to think about and I hope you might grab yourself a copy of the book if you don't already have it. As always, I'd really appreciate it if you'd share with friends and colleagues, pop a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts or visit my coffee link. As I mentioned earlier, the next episode is Teach to the Top and I really need your voices. Thanks and bye for now. This episode of From Page to Practice is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host From Page to Practice. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcasting hosting for free. Check it out. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast thanks go to kevin mcleod of incomtech.com for use of the tracks cheery monday and fuzzball parade which are licensed under creative commons